Well, good morning, and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. I sure love the bells. I hope you do, too, because it is inspiring. I hope God speaks to you boldly. If this is the very first time that you've ever been here, we'd love for you to take a guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out in its entirety. And when you leave today, if you would just drop that in one of the offering boxes, we would certainly appreciate that. This morning, we are coming to worship God. There are a number of different elements in our service and right up front, not only in the handbells and the organ, uh, our woman of grace will be singing, and then we'll move right into the Lord's Supper. And I pray that you will prepare your hearts during this time of worship and music, allow God to speak to you and prepare yourself for coming around the memorial table. And as God leads you, allow him to speak. And I ask that you would respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity this morning to enjoy the fellowship in our Bible study classes, uh, the fellowship time between those classes and the service. And now, Father, as we enter into this time of worship, thank you for music. Thank you for the inspiration that it gives. And Father, for those who have a faith in you, the Holy Spirit living in us, it speaks boldly, and he speaks boldly. And I pray, Father, that as we listen to music, as we prepare ourselves to observe the memorial table, God, we will remember the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we don't do that in mourning. We do that in celebration and joy because his great sacrifice and resurrection allows each of us to be joyful in our lives and our hearts because of what you have done in transforming us. And so God, I pray that as we come to the table, we'll remember what he has done and we'll remember the transformation and the commandment that he gives and the joy and the inner peace and God, it will be a celebration. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
If you take this opportunity, just to bow your heads and with that music, prepare yourself, if you would, for the observance of the Lord's Supper. Father, we are humbled by Christ's sacrifice. With our finite minds, it is hard to understand the complexity. But we do understand that he paid it all. And yes, with his authority, he could have called 10,000 angels. But he chose not to because we needed salvation. Because we are fallen, because of our choices, because of our sin, we have broken that fellowship with you that you so dearly wanted when you created us. But through Christ, and through our willingness to ask him to take our sins away and asking Christ to come into our life and our heart and the power of the Holy Spirit who comes inside of us now we can have joy we are once again in that fellowship with you each one of us a priest before you and from time to time we come back to the table as Jesus said, to do this in remembrance of me. And I pray that in this time of joy and celebration, because of what you have done, we will not forget. And we will be determined to be faithful to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We gather around the Lord's table. and We take the elements of the bread and the juice representing his broken body and his spilled blood. And he commands us to do this in remembrance of what he himself did for us. It's inspiring and it's encouraging. At the same time, it's solemn and it's sacred. But he wants us to take it seriously because it, it is the ultimate sacrifice and through that, we have the ability to fellowship with one another, to have a fellowship with Almighty God, and to be able to accomplish the great commandment and the great commission because of his empowering spirit that lives inside of us. And so let this be a time of renewal and recommitment.
Jesus said, take eat, this is my body. Bill, would you lead us in a time of prayer specifically focused upon both the bread and the juice? Our Heavenly Father, this never gets old. This remembrance that we are doing today. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we do this in remembrance of you. We do this because of the, the body and the blood that was shed for us to give us the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for bringing and giving us your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took upon us the sin of the world that he went to the cross and bore it all for us. Now, Lord, I pray that we might praise him and praise you. In your holy name we ask it. Amen.
Jesus said, drink all of it, for this is my blood of the kingdom poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The scripture says that when they had sung a hymn, they went out. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand, and we're going to sing right now. But don't go out.
last verse a cappella as we reflect on those words. I take across my shadow for Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, for the blessings you give us, for the knowing that you are in our presence each time we worship you. Lord, may the things that we say and the things that we do be pleasing in your sight. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. So much so that you gave your only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins and give us the promise of eternal life. What a wonderful feeling it is as Christians that we, we know this promise and we know the one whose promise it is, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask it. Amen. As you have read... Dr. Kennedy is beginning a series of messages from the book of Philippians today. The overarching theme of that book is joy. So I want us to sing about that joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, so the world can't take it away. Let's sing.
just a few minutes, you will hear some scriptures read from the first chapter of Philippians. One of those verses is set to a scripture song, He Who Began a Good Work in You. I'm going to ask the choir to sing through it once, and then I will turn and have you sing it through with them. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are blessed by the reading of the scripture and are comforted knowing that these are the words of the Lord. There is joy, there is peace, and there is love in the presence of the Lord. Peace, there is 
stand. Stand and sing. Stand and sing. Stand and sing. Thank you for thank you for leading us this morning in our worship focused around uh, our scripture and focused around the joy joy for the journey yesterday my wife and I spent uh, a number of hours going through our garage and moving things from one place to another and to another and I won't get into the details, but the thing that I do know is that I, I had four boxes of memories, and my wife had one. And when we finished, I still had four boxes of memories, and my wife has about a half of one. <laughs> but as we started going through some of those boxes, I began looking at all of these things, most of them in the realm of ministry. For 45 years, I looked at uh, newspaper clippings, all kinds of memories from college and seminary, from the pastorates that I had been engaged in over the years, and it, uh, it takes you through quite a journey. 45 years is a long time in ministry, 40 years as a pastor, and uh, there are a lot of people you meet along the way. And there's a lot of... Uh, of encounters it's it's just quite the journey and one of the things as I began to study uh, in regards to the sermon series on the book of Philippians is that Paul had quite the journey and yet his emphasis in the beginning part of this letter and its theme continues through it is that of joy and reminded me that at our stage of life, we have all been through quite a bit. There's some of it you wouldn't want to go through again. There's some of it that you would love to once again connect. I'm at an age uh, now where many of my mentors, some of my co-laborers and friends are dying. And it is a stark realization that I can't connect with them anymore. That the saged advice or counsel that they gave over the course of time is no longer there. And as I read through some letters from professors and from, uh, uh, from uh, friends, fellow pastors, um, they're no longer here. But the words live on. And it brings joy. If we really reflect on life, we know that it has a lot of ups and downs. It's got curves and it's got straightaways. It is different for each and every one of us, and yet there are some elements that are the same. This is the journey that we're on. We live and we die. Those things are the same. 
The question is, how do we handle everything in between the birth and death? How do we handle all of those things in life, especially at this stage of life as we continue our journey? <coughs> well, I think that uh, Paul's response, overwhelmingly, as you heard from the scripture that, uh, that Susie read, it was joy. His response is to live it with joy. Now, you would think that uh, Paul, if he was saying that, was on some paradise island just enjoying himself. The reality was that he was in prison when he wrote this. When we think about the idea of joy, we find that the New Testament applies joy to suffering as well as salvation and the journey in life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, hey, when you're reviled or persecuted or lied about, he says, the Christian is to rejoice and be glad, Amen. knowing that this is traditionally part of the believer in Christ's portion. This is what Jesus said we're to expect. We're going to have those difficulties in journey. Whether it be health difficulties or whether they be relationship difficulties or family difficulties or whether it's just because of our faith in Christ and there are those that are in opposition to that, Jesus said, listen, rejoice and be glad in it. How do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 that joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And so when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us, and He's the one that no matter what situation we might be in, will bring us joy. So joy doesn't come from external circumstances, it comes deep from within, within us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we launch into this uh, about three or four month journey in the book of Philippians, there are some things that I think might be good to just lay out at the beginning. Anytime that you study a book, you want some background material, and this is no different. What were the origins of the church at Philippi? How did it begin? We get our information from Acts chapter 16, as well as the book of Philippians. Philippi was probably the first church in Europe. How that church began, I believe, shows the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform lives. These were not the low fruit that have heard the gospel all, all the time. These were mostly Gentiles with some Jewish folks that had relocated. And so look at some of the early events and the people. We have Lydia. Lydia was a devout proselyte. It comes out of Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. She was a trader. She, she traded in purple cloth. Originally, she was from Thyatira. But here we find a lady who is an example of those who were willing to receive the gospel when the Apostle Paul communicated it in that place of prayer. We have the soothsaying girl in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, whose, whose spirit of divination was exercised by the Apostle Paul because she followed him for days talking about these are servants of the Most High God, and he got irritated. And so he cast out the demon. 
It illustrates the triumph of Christ over the powers of darkness. It also landed them in jail <laughs> in Philippi. And that brings in the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16, verses 27 through 34, he himself was shaken into realization of his own need by an earthquake, and it shows the power of the gospel to transform not only his life, but a family's life, for he and his family were baptized. They followed Jesus. In fact, if you read into the scriptures, he, he was so relieved because he was about to, to take the sword to himself when the earthquake happened, thinking all of the prisoners had run away, and yet they had not. And so he took Paul and Silas into his own home, and, and he fed them. And there, the gospel was communicated. And there, the family was baptized. So we have Lydia and the Philippian jailer who, who were foundational. We don't know about the Susan girl, it doesn't tell us. But we find that they helped form the nucleus of the church at Philippi. There were other members mentioned. Epaphroditus, Euodia, Syntyche, Clement. This was primarily and predominantly a Gentile church. Now Phil, uh, Paul was, uh, was instrumental in the organization of the church. These believers maintained a very special relationship and tie through the course of time with Paul. Evidently, he visited them about five years later on his uh, leaving the work at Ephesus and on that tour, most likely visited Philippi. But it was during that absence when he helped begin that church, organized that church to whatever degree, and then continued on his missionary journey, that relationship was strong. It was so strong that during his absence from Philippi, the church expressed their love to Philip, I'm sorry, to Paul by sending him finances for his work in Thessalonica and also sent other gifts later, according to what Paul said in the Corinthian letter. So this church had ties. This, this was a missionary. Paul was a church planner. His desire was to go and communicate the gospel to those who didn't know in the Gentile world. He was the ambassador God. It called him to do that. And this church came alongside and said, we want to be a part because of what you have done for us. Paul visited a third time to the church at Philippi, spending an Easter there on his way back to Jerusalem, carrying the collection for the poor in Jerusalem because of the the deep famine that had been taking place there and affecting the church. And so this love relationship, this joy, continued not just when he was there because it was sporadic, but it was ongoing. Now, the church was situated in a historic city, Philippi. It was founded by the father of Alexander the Great and was named after him. And what's interesting about this in relation to other cities or communities in that area, is that it was established as a military colony for Rome. And that gave them special privileges of citizenship. And to be a Roman citizen, and not a Roman, but to be a Roman citizen under the government of Rome, which scattered like an octopus all over the known world, it was something to be proud of. In fact, we see that Paul used that type of ter uh, ter terminology several times in the book of uh, Philippi uh, or Philippians. 
And also we see it in, in Acts chapter 16. And he takes that understanding of having a Roman citizenship and takes it into a higher level to give an understanding of your spiritual citizenship in heaven. And so the Apostle Paul, he takes the themes, the understanding of the people there, and he moves them forward. Now, why do you think that he wrote this letter at this particular time? Well, most likely it's because Epaphroditus was sick, almost died, in fact. Epaphroditus, according to Philippians chapter 2, came from Philippi. The church sent Epaphroditus to the apostle Paul to help him and to minister to his needs. And during his stay, he suffered a serious illness. In fact, Paul said he almost died. Here, they sent this, this man to help in the special circumstances that Paul was in, and he got sick, almost died. And the Philippians had heard about that, and they were concerned. And so the Apostle Paul thought it was best for him now, recovered, to send Epaphroditus back to his family, his church family in Philippi. And so that was a great, great occasion for the letter. I think additionally the Apostle Paul wanted to thank them for the financial gifts that they had given, the generosity of helping him communicate the gospel in many different places. We find that uh, their generosity was something that was foremost on Paul's mind, not because he focused upon the money and the other help, but because he saw it came from their heart. It was a generosity. It was the spirit of stewardship and partnership. Also, I think that uh, Timothy was going to make a visit soon, and Paul had intended to visit them soon. And also, there were two issues, main issues, that Paul wanted to address. That was unity, and that was the warning against the Judaizers. So in these areas, the Apostle Paul said, you know what, it's a good time to write this church and give them instructions to help them as they go through the journey of life. Now, Paul was imprisoned at this time, most likely in Rome. Most likely the letter was written about 61 or 62 A.D. So it wasn't the earliest letter, but it was a letter that said, this is important. When you look at the context of the entire letter, you find that there are uh, characteristics that are important. There are six theological foundations the Apostle Paul focuses on. And through the course of this series, we're going to hit every one of them. He addressed the fellowship with Christ, the commitment of the gospel, understanding life as stewardship, making sure to imitate the suffering servant, the unity of Christ was high, and the hope of the resurrection. Those were the issues he wanted to address. And you know, quite frankly, that would be true for each and every one of us. Let's get a little bit more to the meat, the reason for joy for the journey. Why, why did Paul say, it is a joy to have this connection with you? Well, if you look at, uh, at uh, verse 1, you find that he begins this letter with a traditional greeting. He identifies Timothy and he identifies himself as the servants who are communicating with them. He specifically focuses upon the saints, the leadership, the overseers and pastors, the deacons of the church. He wanted to make sure that this letter was focused upon their heart and their desire. It was attention to them because these kinds of letters were read to the entire congregation. They were not private. At some point, at some time, when Epaphroditus brought this letter back, the whole church would gather together and they would sit and they would read the letter. 
and they would study the letter, and they would take to heart what the Apostle Paul is trying to study, the very same thing that we do in our Bible study classes and our topical studies on Sunday mornings. It's the very same thing in this letter. We find in verse 2, he greeted them with the usual grace and peace to you. And I, I think that's significant. It is in every single letter that he wrote that, uh, wrote those words in, because it reaffirms the biblical beliefs that God, through Jesus Christ, provides salvation to everyone who would call upon the name of Jesus Christ, and he would also provide the peace, the inner peace, that every single believer has no matter what they're going through because of the Spirit of God who lives within them. So when he says grace and peace, it wasn't just words on a page. It was a meaningful understanding. It gave this belief, this understanding that, listen, I want you to know that salvation is only through Christ. It's grace, unmerited favor. You can't earn it, but Christ gave it to you when you accepted him. And secondly, that peace. As you're going to go through hard times, and the church at Philippi did, just like Paul did, he said it's going to be okay because that peace comes from inside you. That joy comes from within you. In verses 3 and 4, he begins his explanation of the joyful journey, hence the title of this sermon series. First, he was joyful for his prayers. His time with the Lord, 101, brought him joy. It, it, it was not drudgery. Sometimes we come together in our prayer times maybe by ourselves, and we say, man, it is really hard for me to get into this idea, this mode of, of communicating with God, but I know I have to do it. Sometimes it's just like drudgery. We just have to get through it. Sometimes the circumstances of life create such an issue within our lives, we just are not sure that we can even communicate with God. But in reality, there was a time when we were separated from God, and we didn't have that opportunity. And Paul says, listen, on the Damascus Road, Jesus came into my life. And my fellowship was restored. And so now, when I communicate with God, it is like a conversation I have with Him, and it brings me joy. He used the term thank, T-H-A-N-K, to express His praise and His thanksgiving that He gives to God for the time that He spends praying. He, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. There is this sense of understanding that Paul comes into the presence of God not haphazardly, not out of drudgery as I said, but he comes in with this understanding. He is coming before the very creator of the universe. And this is a holy, special time. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't you can't give your true feelings to God because He can take care of it. If you're frustrated, if you're mad, if you're angry about something, if you don't understand something and you just want to vent, God is there for you. And Paul understands that. And he says in the midst of that, we can still have joy in that relationship. Don't you really like somebody that you can confide in? And you know that it's just between me and you? And in that conversation, that confidential conversation, I can just share what's on my heart and my frustrations and know that you're going to take them, you're going to hear them, you're going to affirm me and you're going to encourage me and you're going to inspire me and you're going to try to help me work through that. Well, that's exactly the idea that Paul has when he comes into the presence of the Holy God. 
He says, I, I thank my God. I give praise and thanksgiving to him because I have the ability to have that communication and that prayer time with him. In verse 4, he used the term joy to express his elation that he experiences in prayer. He, he says, in all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Joy. There's a, a number of reasons for that, but I will tell you that that term joy is the keynote to the letter. He was a happy prisoner in Rome while he was praying, just like he was a happy prisoner in Philippi when he was in jail there. You remember Acts 16.25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. That was right before the earthquake. In the midst of this most difficult time when they were falsely accused, imprisoned, not because of great things they had done, but because they hurt the economics of an individual businessman. And you know what they did? They didn't complain. They didn't say, oh God, why am I here? What, what, why did, what, I'm just out doing your work and here's what you do to me? No. No, here, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. Why is that? Because they knew God had a reason. God works through all circumstances and situations when, when we are serving him in obedience. Nothing caught him unaware. Paul knew that. And so they just praised God where they were. There was this sense of joy, this inner joy, even in the midst of difficult times, whether it was in Philippi in prison or whether it was in Rome in prison. I can only imagine as Paul is writing this letter, uh, he's reflecting on the early beginnings of the church at Philippi. As he's there in that uh, prison in Rome, He's writing to them. And I can imagine that he stops for a minute and says, Oh, man, I remember. I'll never forget that first encounter with Lydia and how she was open to hearing. And I'll never forget about the Philippian jailer and how he was about to take his life. You, you understand. You, you've been through that journey of reminiscing about things in the past that, that were special and joyful. And as Paul's writing them this letter, he is just joyful about these things, remembering. Most likely, we don't know for certain, but probably that jailer and his family were probably still members of that church at Philippi. And Paul's thinking, you know, he's going to be listening to this when it's read in front of the entire congregation. And I remember his excitement when he gave his life to Christ. And I remember how he went from death to life. Every time he thought and he prayed for these believers, it brought joy to Paul's mind and heart. And when we pray, and we pray for individuals or circumstances, these are the kinds of things that ought to bring joy to our heart as well, no matter how difficult the road is. We find in verses 3 and 4 that Paul focuses on his joy in praying. He said, every time I remember you. It carries the idea that every time I make mention of you in my prayers. It's not periodic, but every time. And he said, 
it brings joy to me. Uh, Debbie and I are so thankful for all of your prayers because we know that you consistently pray for us in the realm of ministry. And I know you pray for our staff. And you know, it is so critical for us. It's so important to have those prayers. And every time you pray for us, not only does God uh, pave a way for us and sends encouragement to us, but you yourself are encouraged, should be joyful. He said, in all my prayers, in verse 4, it included his request, it included his petitions, it included uh, his intercessions. He said, in all of my prayers for all of you, it includes everyone and it excludes no one. He wasn't selective in his praying for the church at Philippi. He says, listen, I'm praying for all of you. I might pray for you by name. I might pray for all of you who are, are engaged in the ministry at Philippi. But I want you to know that when I pray, which <coughs> I always remember you, and it's in my prayers. I'm not going to exclude anyone. And again, he said, I always pray. It shows action. You know, when we go to the Lord in prayer, that is action. We need to take that action. And for him, it brought joy. So in this short time of verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul, he addresses his joyfulness in prayers for the, for the believers at Philippi. And I guess that's a question I might have for you and me. Number one, is it our habit to pray for people constantly? Are we a one and done? Do we pray for people constantly? And secondly, in our prayer time, does it bring joy? That's the first thing Paul says in his letter. Secondly, uh, not only was he joyful in his prayers, but he was joyful in the partnership with the church at Philippi. And that partnership was a partnership of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, because of your partnership. He said, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this point from the first point until now. Now, what does that mean? Paul's saying, listen, I, I'm joyful because we, we have a cooperation together and we move forward. It's for the aid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The refer, I, I believe that the term here is not just re, re, reflecting an idea of finances. It's not only that the church at Philippi is giving Paul financial help in the partnership of the gospel. But it's more than that. There's this idea, this understanding that there's a cooperation in the widest sense of the word, the participation in uh, the suffering times, in the sympathy times, in the times where there's active labor. How do we know that? Well, we know that he gave financially, but it was the church at Philippi that sent Epaphroditus in person to help Paul when he was imprisoned at Rome to meet his needs there is engagement there that helps the apostle paul with the gospel of jesus christ they were partners together in proclaiming jesus christ in their local area in the region and everywhere that the apostle paul went they were partners he said that brings me joy he concluded his thought with this from the first day until now he's reflecting back from the very first day as the body of Christ, you have partnered with me and me with you 
to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it brought joy to him because the church was mission-minded. It thought beyond itself. Even though many of them were Gentiles, they had quite the opportunity from the beginning, and they continue to that very moment. It's one of the things that I am joyful about myself for us. This is a church that gives strongly to the cooperative program, and we partner with all the different agencies of our Southern Baptist Convention. And through that partnership, there is theological education accomplished. There are disaster relief teams being involved in so many disasters. We have missionaries around the world some 37 over 3700 of them close to 200 countries of the world we support close to 5,000 3,500 to 5,000 North American missionaries we we are engaged in the cooperative program the Lottie Moon Christmas offering our goal was $22,222.22 and we are about $1,500 under that which is incredible you've given over $20,000 just for this offering to specifically go to our missionaries 100% to the field to help to resource them. Annie Armstrong for North American Missions. We've got a whole, a whole nation in North America and Canada and uh, on farther to the south we find that there's great need. And you give and we exceed our goal virtually every year. And how about our own partnerships here? There are I would, I would ask you to consider when we have a Partners on Mission night that you come because we get to hear from our partners that we have partnered with financially or in other ways and they tell us about what's going on. This past Wednesday we heard from, uh, from Matthew Mueller from the Valley Life Church in North Peoria. It's a Southern Baptist Church launch there. We're coming beside them to help in every way we can. In December, we heard from, from uh, Derek. Derek is uh, part of Redeeming Life Church, launching that in Litchfield Park in an area that doesn't have a Southern Baptist Church close around. We have been uh, partnering with uh, Relentless Church downtown Phoenix, ministering to a whole different uh, demographic. We have come beside Asante Church and we have seen with uh, Alex just the explosion that's taking place in that brand new church plant. It's an exciting time for us. We also engage, and you'll catch that in February when we have our partners on mission, we have the New Life Pregnancy Center that will be coming and talking to us about our partnership with helping pregnant women, their boyfriends or their husbands, understand Christ understand life and doing everything they can to help them to get started our partnerships go on in our sewing ministries two different sewing ministries that help to engage and to help uh, in areas of ministry needs but I think you get the point the point is that Paul was joyful in the partnership the church had with him wherever he went to proclaim the gospel and you yourself are engaged in that with everything that you give, with every time that you pray, that you engage, that you physically go out and help in those various churches, we are partnering together to accomplish the gospel of Christ here locally, in our region, and around the world. The last thing that the Apostle Paul said that he was joyful in Christ. He's joyful in Christ, he said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. He understood that from the very beginning of their partnership, it was a joyful journey. It wasn't easy, but it was joyful. Because he understood that when 
they asked Christ to come into their life, they were transformed. The Spirit came within them to dwell in them, and together from that very first point, that new work began. That was the beginning. The beginning to accomplish things that God wanted to do throughout the known world. Paul was elated with great confidence. Confidence that the salvation that Jesus Christ gave and the abundant life and living that these new believers in Christ had. And so when he's writing this letter, he's, he wants them to understand, not only do I have joy in my praying, and not only do I have joy in my partnership, I have joy in Christ because he's the one who has changed your life completely. And he will give you the abundant life, and he will give you the gifts that you need to accomplish that great commandment and the great commission. He said, being confident of this, the idea is to have full confidence, a settled persuasion to be totally convinced. He said, I am certain that God who began a new work in you when you gave your life to Christ is going to see it to the very end. So don't become stale. Don't get on the sidelines and become a spectator. He's confident of this. What is this? It's their partnership from the beginning, and he knows and is confident it's going to continue on into the future. He doesn't see them getting sidetracked at all. Why is that? Because of the one, Jesus Christ, who started and began that good work in them. And that good work was to work together in cooperation with Paul in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to complete that task. You see, what Jesus begins, he will finish. Until completion, Paul says. It means to complete, to accomplish the goal, to finish. This particular word, completion, is used just one other time in the New Testament. He uses it in Galatians 3.3. He says to the Galatians, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal by human effort? It's a very interesting thrust. He's telling the churches of Galatia, he's saying, listen, Christ came into your life, and he is moving powerfully through you, but all of a sudden you are putting him to the side, that spirit which gave you life, and now you're trying to do it on your own merit. You know, that could seem vaguely familiar. Because for most of us, Christ has come into our life at some point in our life. But there is a tendency among believers, sometimes after the newness wears off, to begin trying to do the work of God in our own flesh. And we wonder why we fail, because as Paul said to the Galatians, are you so foolish to think that you couldn't come to Christ on your own merit. Why would you think that you could do more things on your own merit? It's not logical. And he uses this word here in Philippians on completion. He said, the one who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's the one that will do it. So don't be so foolish to think that you're going to finish strong on your own merit. Rely upon the Spirit of God. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Be obedient. And he's going to bring it to fruition.
When God has given us a task, and He's given us a vision, He's given us a mission, we don't need to turn back. We need to fulfill it to its completion, no matter how difficult it is. You know, Paul knew that God had given him a mission. And that mission was to communicate the gospel to the Gentile world. It's overwhelming. And it wasn't a piece of cake. You go back into Paul's letter, the second letter to the, the Corinthians, you find that he went through every bad thing you can imagine. Go back and read that sometime. He went through so many difficulties, but God had given him the mission. God should provide a smooth way, right? No. No, that's not what it is. He says he'll give joy in suffering, even when people persecute you and revile you and lie about you. He says, it's okay because I've given you the joy throughout the journey, no matter what happens. And Paul took it to heart. He'd been through it all and imprisonments. But you know what? It didn't matter to him because he knew that God had called him to this ministry and he was going to see it through completion. And I think that's our challenge today. He says, until the day of Jesus Christ. That word until assumes the nearness of the second coming. The apostle Paul believed that Christ was going to come back in, in his lifetime. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? <laughs> the reality is that his religious thought was, listen, I'm encouraged and I'm hopeful and joyful for that blessed hope of Christ coming back. But until he comes back, I'm going to persevere and continue on with the work that he has given me. And that's the challenge for us because we believe that Christ is soon to come back. But that doesn't mean we sit back and we wait. It actually challenges us because the day of Jesus Christ is a time when the Lord reveals himself in his fullness to the world. He judges evil and fulfills the great purposes of redemption among men and women in this, in this world. But the judgment is not the end. It's a means of making Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, known to the world. And that knowledge and that acceptance of him will revolutionize and transform their lives, those who are lost. Paul was joyful in Christ. And so, two questions this morning. Do you have that blessed hope that when Jesus comes again, or when we breathe our last, that you'll be ready to see him? Paul said, this is it. He's going to begin that great work. And secondly, do you have joy in your journey of life? So, two questions. Number one, do you know Christ as your Savior? And if you don't know Christ, this morning is the time to do it. And secondly, is your journey, is it focused on the abundant life and joy, no matter how difficult things are? Paul says to them, writing from prison, this is what I want for you. I want you to experience the joy. Because the God who started the work in you isn't finished. If you'll let him, he'll bring it to completion. He promises. And so for believers, sometimes it's good to make a recommitment. To say, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to stop. Maybe I need to get recharged because I started strong. When I accepted Christ, it was, it was a, a peaceful, amazing thing that happened to me. And these years later, I still
still want to experience that kind of joy and inner peace. And I want to be used of God. Father, as we go, go into our invitation, I just ask that you would help us to experience the joy of the journey. That we would take that understanding of what Paul is saying and, and apply it to our life. That we'd be able to answer those questions. That the, the one who started that new work in us from the very beginning, that he's going to complete it. That we are partners together to accomplish what God desires until you come back, Father, through Christ. Are we to go to you in our time of death? Well, God, I pray for those who need salvation, for those uh, who need rededication. Because the journey is difficult. But help us to have that joy that comes with the Spirit from within us. In His name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing the invitation hymn if you would.
you go ahead and be seated if you would. I would like for you ladies to view a very brief video about the Bible study that will begin for you this coming Thursday. It's entitled Take Courage based on the book of Haggai. So let's view that video now and then I will give you some instructions as to where you can sign up. Rothschild. I hope you'll join me for this seven-session study on the book of Haggai. It's called Take Courage. We need to take courage in this life, but sometimes we don't have it. Even when you are walking with courage and you find yourself discouraged, you remember the genesis, the source of your courage is that God created you. It's an invitation from God to come Take courage because I have courage that I want to grant you. This study will challenge you to rebuild what is broken and to rise to be the woman that God called you to be. In the small lobby, ladies, if you have not signed up, I would encourage you to go after we finish here in a couple of minutes to sign up for the study and books are available if you would like to purchase one. It isn't required that you purchase one to attend, but those books are available. We'll begin on Thursday at 10 a.m. in the CLC, and the teacher facilitator will be Beverly Finley. Also on Thursday at 10 and 1:12, the men's Bible study on Elijah will begin with Dr. Kennedy as the teacher facilitator. Your insert on the back, let me draw your attention to the page that tells about the dinner fellowship groups those are coming in February. You'll notice there is one tweak, one change from what was on it last week, and that's about two-thirds of the way down. How long will the dinner fellowship group last? Each group will meet monthly through May. So I hope that you will take advantage of that opportunity to get to know others in our congregation and sign up for that. Wednesday at 2.45, the choir will be kicking off the Easter musical. That may seem early, but it really isn't. Because on April the 2nd, Palm Sunday at five o'clock in the evening, we will be presenting our Easter musical. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines thinking, well, maybe someday, someday is here. 2.45 on Wednesday, we'd be delighted to have you. Thank you. Carolyn, would you come, please? This is Carolyn Harold. Carolyn has, uh, has uh, been with us for a, a while and uh, she is already engaged in ministry <laughs> and that is so exciting this morning she comes to say you know what uh, it's time and God has led me to be a part of First Baptist Church Sun City West we are so excited to have you there's one thing I have to do and I have to let them vote okay so if you are in favor of Carolyn uh, joining our church if you do that by the sign I you're against that the sign no Carolyn, it is great to have you. And I'm going to have you stay right here. And I'm going to ask uh, Carol, you're her Bible study teacher, I believe. So if you'll come and stand beside her, I would appreciate that. Take your time. Carol's been really nursing this hip here. <laughs> Take your time. So in, uh, 
At the end of the service, our folks are going to come around and they're going to give you the right hand of Christian fellowship. You've probably seen that. And basically, they're saying, welcome to your church family. And secondly, we're going to be praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead. And so we look forward to that because we, we are a family. So they'll be coming around and saying that very thing. Okay. And Gregory, uh, he has come this morning uh, to rededicate his life. And we are excited about that. Uh, I've seen uh, Gregory over the last few months, man. He's just uh, continued to, uh, to be faithful and to grow. He even comes to our, our prayer meetings on Sunday morning and on uh, Tuesday. And we're so excited that, uh, that you feel God's movement and leadership to do just that. I'd love for you just to come and let folks affirm you as well, okay? All right, all right. Let's stand. We're going to have our closing time of prayer. You come and give uh, these folks that great hand of fellowship. Before right here, Doyle right Miller voices our closing prayer, let me remind you that the office is closed tomorrow, but we will be here to serve you at 8 o'clock on Tuesday. Doyle Miller. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father... We come before you this morning to honor and to glorify your most holy name. Father, we just thank you for your blessings and for your mercy and your protection over us. We thank you, Father, for providing this place to come together to worship you freely. We just uh, praise you for the blessings and the mercy that you've given us. We thank you for each and every one that's here, for these two that have come together, come to join us. And Father, we just uh, bring all this to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay.